0: Hello everyone. I'm Izzy Wells and welcome to Hot Stuff where we discuss hot topics that we think deserve your attention. From social issues to popular culture, we'll be letting you into what's going on in Taiwan driven by real people and stories. Today's guest on Hot Stuff is Caitlin Howe. Caitlin is an East Asian Languages and Cultures Master's student at Columbia University. She also holds a BA in History of Art and Architecture from Harvard University. Caitlin runs the TikTok account at Happy Ending Message, which teaches art history, media studies and East Asia to a broad audience. The account has amassed over 38,000 followers, with some of the videos receiving millions of views. Caitlin's research seeks to discover how social media existed in Sinophone communities prior to the Internet age, as far back as the 1970s and 80s. Her writing and projects have appeared in the Harvard Art Museums, Hyperallergic, Arch Asia Pacific Magazine, Sign Theatre Magazine, and Moon Press. Welcome to Hot Stuff, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. So today's focus of of the conversation is going to be about your account and accessibility and art. I think it's really cool what you're doing. Now, how did you first become interested in East Asian art history and what motivated you to start sharing it on social media?
1: Yeah, so I uh, was an art history undergraduate student, and I took a lot of classes in East Asian art history, and I always noticed that those classes, their cl- uh, the number of students who take those classes are much lower than uh, the amount of students that you usually get in a big Western art history class. Oftentimes, these undergraduate classes taught in universities uh really only teach if you're taking an introductory art class it's probably going to be a western art class Mm -hmm. and that's such a shame and I went to you I you could say I received one of the best under sort of art history uh, educations some would say in the world and if I was privileged enough to receive those kinds of uh, lessons and learn from the top experts in the field. I think it's my responsibility to pay that forward and share what I've learned with a broader audience. And I started just posting videos and I really realized that people are, are really interested. And many people don't get the chance to take an art history class in college, let alone and east asian art history class so if i'm able to share just a piece of it then that's really cool
0: for sure and why did you choose tiktok as your platform to share your content on
1: yeah so i mean i am a avid tiktok consumer (laughs) myself i think especially during covid and the most fascinating videos that I was seeing, I was learning a bunch of art history from these online creators uh, on TikTok. And it's really a conversation, like someone makes a video and it either triggers something in my memory or I make a video responding to their work. So it just so happened that I saw the most to me what was the most fascinating um, art history content being produced on that platform so Mm -hmm. I just went along with what I was seeing
0: Mm. and TikTok is originally known well right at the start for like dances (laughs) and I guess shorter form content so how do you kind of condense these complex art history topics into short and engaging videos especially you know a lot of people might not have an art history background.
1: Yeah for me I think um, I try to make my videos uh, along sort of two lines. The first sort of example or type of video that I make is just explaining one thing about one work of art and if my audience understands that one thing about that one artwork, um, then that's good enough for me. So for example, like why are, why are Chinese artists so obsessed with rocks? Like (laughs) why? Um, And if I can answer that question in one sentence and have someone learn that, then that's good enough for me. Um, There's no need for like a giant lecture, one minute uh, video will do. Uh, The second is, like, connecting whatever's happening in the pop culture scene at the moment to um, an art historical or media historical background. So, for example... There was this trend of, like, this mainland Chinese woman who would, like, dance around and, like, do all these, like, outrageous things and, like, she would get, like, hundreds of millions of views. And I recognized, like, a lot of the skits that she was doing actually were borrowed from, like, Hong Kong films from the 90s and a mm-hmm. certain type of comedy called Ulito or Mole Tao. So I was just... I created a video um, explaining sort of the historical background to whatever trend was happening at the time. Um, and I think those types of videos are like my most successful ones. they just sort of either giving a background to a trend that's happening at the moment or just answering like a really weird question.
0: Yeah, so that kind of brings me on to how there's so much involved in like art history, East Asian art history. How do you go about choosing your topics? Yeah, so I think
1: it goes back to what I was talking about before. Like, I really see this page as a document of my own education. Mm -hmm. I borrow things that I've learned in art history class or a paper that I wrote for that class um, or something that my professor taught me that I thought was really cool. And I just want to pass it along. So I am deeply influenced by the classes that I took myself uh, in college.
0: And how has social media and I guess TikTok specifically impacted the accessibility of art history for a broader audience?
1: I think it's interesting because academia famously has a very small audience Mm if you're publishing a paper, you're lucky if like a few hundred people read it. You're lucky if like 10 people read it. Whereas on TikTok, I was getting engagement levels that I didn't even know was possible. And with that like comes its own can of worms. I won't say that one's more important or one's harder than the other. But at the same time, I think I feel the most fulfilled when I know that my content appeals to so many different kinds of people um, and such a such large numbers of people.
0: I think it's a great kind of thing because you know academia, like you said, it's not the most accessible thing. And especially if you do love your subject so much like you do, you kind of want to share that with with everyone. So I think it's great that you're kind of unpacking these like topics or whatever, to let any, everyone in on the conversation and also have their opinion and keep them in the know I think it's super cool so kudos to you <laughs> and do you think the art world and bigger institutions like museums and galleries do you think they understand the importance of social media and all this and trying to make make stuff more accessible
1: yeah and I have been working with museums in the United States either doing content for them, for example, taking teaching lessons inspired by their exhibitions or even working with their social media teams directly to try to um, show them what I'm doing. And that I would say, unfortunately, has been an uphill battle. (laughs) Museums and art institutions certainly know that social media is hugely important, but I think currently it's from a marketing standpoint They see it as an outlet to get people to come to their museum and to advertise their exhibitions, but not so much using it as a place where someone can get a very detailed sort of art history lesson. Mm. And I I think what I've learned from my content is like it doesn't even have to be long. Someone can learn a lot in just one minute. Um, And I think museums, I hope museums, Will discover that their social media pages, which they all have, are not just uh, a place to advertise yourself, but to teach people. Mm. It's not just to. Uh, it's not just an outlet to participate in like a trend and get a lot of views. It's a place that you can show parts of a collection that you can't in the galleries, or it's a place to give other people besides like art historians with PhDs a-, a chance to teach people about art yeah so there's a lot of potential there but I don't think the art world has even begun begun to, to,
0: to no it's advantage. it's definitely uh an interesting kind of kind of worms to open but I've been following news like channel 4 news the guardian um some like uk yeah. places and they they're on tiktok yeah. and instagram and they're doing like these little videos explaining a phenomenon that's happened or an event or something which i think is great because I, I you know it's it's not just about i think it comes with a sense of responsibility like they genuinely including yourself want to reach people and keep them updated on their field or like what's going on in the world so I think I think that's really great and is there anything that you would say that you have learned from interactions with your TikTok audience or is there anything that you've experienced that has had an influence on your own perspective of art history
1: yeah definitely I think the first thing is that you can never underestimate your audience Um, I get fact-checked all the time uh, by my audience people will find facts that like I got wrong Um, even though I spend like hours researching you don't catch everything and my audience will catch it and they will (laughs) let me know that I was wrong but you know I'm grateful for that and honestly like fair game I think like when you enter the social media scene like you have to be okay with people checking you. And that goes for like my arguments too. Like if I give, if I'm like trying to explain something and they disagree, like they will let me know. And I think it's been, it's made me really aware of like my own sort of biases and leanings. You can say that I've been canceled before. (laughs) I've been criticized that certain like I've had like certain videos that people have pointed out things that were deeply problematic about them and I had no I had no idea and I think you just have to acknowledge that that there were certainly oversights um whenever that happens I've realized that and this platform has encouraged me to create content from my own perspective like whenever I've tried to step out of my own sort of bandwidth of knowledge, that's where I get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when you get into like the cancel waters. (laughs) Um, So it really is like sticking to like what I know and what I've experienced and making content from that perspective. And in some ways like people will find that in of itself like probably problematic but that's the way that I feel like this platform in my audience has encouraged me to grow.
0: Yeah I think that's a positive thing actually in that you're also gaining things from this experience and learning things that people, you know, whether it's like a fact or a, a new point of view that yeah. you haven't maybe um, thought of before. So I think it's like kind of a useful conversation and such, which people don't always think of like social media like that.
1: No, I think, I don't know, maybe it's a hot take, but like cancel culture, <laughs> maybe it like does have an upside. Like there's so many creators out there like we don't have to be experts in everything and like there is so much that you can do just within your own space that like i think you do have to like leave that space for other people and you have to be okay with doing that and and you also connect with just like fascinating people on the platform of itself i found research subjects through it Mm -hmm. um i found like phd people that like can help me fact check through that um, so it's not like you're always just like interfacing with like 16-year-olds either all <laughs> the time.
0: Um, I'm sure there are some of them there though as well. Oh definitely <laughs> but
1: at the same time like you are just finding like very fascinating people that like mm. will have that you can benefit from their expertise and knowledge.
0: Yeah yeah what's the general community like? Like I guess other people who are doing like educational content as such in the, in a similar field is there a, a lot of them?
1: Um, I wouldn't say there's many but it's it's certainly like a small circle. And I think the circle that I fall into are people who make content on China uh, or the Sinophone region. And it's usually people who do like new current events, news, as well as like popular culture reporting. Um, so those people have been, it's been great to have them as role models and they inspire a lot of the content that I make myself. Mm
0: in this journey are there any kind of misconceptions or stereotypes around East Asian art that you have felt that you have to kind of debunk through your content
1: I think it's a balance and I think sometimes like what I've felt the biggest responsibility in is like sometimes I can like accidentally make the stereotype <laughs> or get yeah, like create a misconception and I think that comes from like unfortunately when you're a creator you're to get views I always try to have a hook to my videos and sometimes people like accuse my hooks of being sensationalist I've been accused of being a CIA operative because <laughs> My hooks, for some reason, have been interpreted as like anti mainland China. Mm. Um, I'm not sure why, (laughs) but it's because like I'm covering um, documentaries or artists that invariably like make social commentary on something that's happening in China. And that is often interpreted as me being like anti China or like making anti Chinese content, which is hard to reconcile with. I think maybe there are some times that I have stepped into that sort of sensationalist area and when you realize that's happening like you just have to Mm self-correct and reflect and try to do better next time.
0: Yeah that brings us on to another interesting point as well because you are creating educational content so you've got this girl of educating, but you also, like you said, views are coming into it, you know, possibly even like financial opportunities where you will be getting money from it. How do you balance that all up?
1: Yeah, I think it's a constant challenge and I think you just have, that's what you just have to stick to like your lane and know what your goal is in creating this content. And if you can like own up to yourself, then what else? Whatever else may come, well, you just have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I always like ask myself, like, is this trying to get people to see a new perspective? Is this teaching someone something new about East Asia, um, particularly China, which faces so much sort of misunderstandings, especially in the United States? And if I can say yes to like both those questions, then whatever opportunity is come in that field, like, I can handle it.
0: Another question I have for you is that some people, maybe especially older generations, feel that we are too woke or like kind of like the snowflake generation. Mm -hmm. And from the comments that you receive online or from kind of interacting with people online, do you think there were an essence of this is true or how how do you feel about this issue of being woke yeah i think i think maybe it's it's less about
1: um the woke question or as like when people when i tell people i do this as in my spare time people are like oh like that's a great hobby <laughs> or um that's so like that's so cute or yeah. like they don't see it as like something serious right but like, I want to tell these um, professors or, like, oftentimes scholars in my field, like, I am, I don't know, I'm teaching, like, real people, and I'm teaching real people, like, on a huge scale, and, like, they do fall into that age bracket of, like, I don't know, our woke generation. My, the majority of my viewers are the ages from 18 to 26, and I do sort of make content in that niche, uh, I talk about race, I talk about sexuality, gender identity, um, and those people are find those topics fascinating, and I find them fascinating. So if my content does cater to a specific ideology, um, I guess you could call it that is what it is. <laughs> um, it's woke. But I think I try to have a scholarly interpretation to it. I try to look at Whatever artist that I'm looking at or um, media event I try to look at it in its historical and cultural where it's situated historically and culturally um so it's, Perhaps it's like woke or perhaps it's um, speaking to like a certain generation's interest, but it's all in the vein of trying to teach somebody about like something from a historical or educational Mm. perspective. I
0: think that's very well put. And unfortunately we're coming to the end of our time. What would you say the biggest lesson is that you have learned from your journey in sharing content on TikTok?
1: Yeah, I think um, maybe I'll go back to what I said before is like never underestimate your audience. Never underestimate that people are too young or like too left, too woke to like learn and engage um, critically and uh, like educationally. You will be ever stunned by how like brilliant our generation is and the digital audience is. um, And you will be blown away by its scale. And there's just so much, so much potential in terms of. Using this content to foster a new generation of scholars um, who will engage with the world more critically, um, but also, like, from a perspective that you're concerned about, like, creating content or, like, contributing to the world that it affects as many people as possible. I think that's, like, what social media teaches you. It's, like, it's about the big picture, it's about the big numbers, it's about, like, teaching on a bigger scale and not just, like, from the ivory tower.
0: Mm. so from what you've said in your experience does that give you hope for the future
1: I think it does um as much as like we think that social media we discuss how social media is like a really scary thing from my perspective even though I've certainly gotten blowback and um been really scared at times by the internet like you will be endlessly blown away by how generous people are with their time with their likes And how brilliant they are and how much they have to say.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for listening to Hot Stuff. Thank you. So before we go, I'm going to play you the sound from one of Caitlin's videos that she's made. And it's actually about an attraction here in Taiwan called the Black Devil's Cave so take a listen and the accompanying video images that she includes you can check out her tiktok happy ending message if you want to see the whole video and other educational content thank you again for listening and i will see you next week racist tourist attractions in asia the black devil's cave in taiwan
1: black devil is a negative slur for black people in chinese so why does this ming dynasty cave have a slur in its name Outside the cave, there's a plaque that claims to tell the history of the cave, that when this island was occupied by the Dutch, and the Chinese national hero Kozinga drove out the Dutch to restore Taiwan, some black enslaved people escaped to the cave. They became pirates who robbed and murdered the crew members on a British warship that landed on the island. The British warship tracked them down to the cave, poured oil down the hole, and burned them alive. Historians say the story is false, but the real story is just as bad trapped in the cave were not black enslaved people, rather the native indigenous people of Xiaoyuqiu island where the cave was located. Indigenous people were known to kill crew members of Dutch ships who tried to dock at the island. General of the Dutch East Indies eventually ordered the punishment and extermination of the native people. In 1636, Dutch soldiers, Han Chinese pirates, and other Aboriginal Taiwanese joined forces to corner 300 natives into the cave. They blocked all entrances except for a few small holes where they placed pans of burning pitch and sulfur. Those who tried to crawl out were captured, the rest were trapped. People reported hearing the cries of those inside. Eight days later, when soldiers entered to investigate, they found the corpses of around 300 men, women, and children. Not only is this name super offensive, but it also is historically inaccurate. Come and get me started on the strange, cute cartoon mascot they have. In addition to the horribly racist name, why is this inaccurate backstory still available for the public? So how can we better educate people on the real story behind the this-